0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: You know, it's a small position compared to his total portfolio, but obviously it's a big move if he bought it at all. Um, I think almost as telling is that he sold all of his Goldman Sachs. He sold 62% of his J.P. Morgan, and he sold a meaningful piece of his Wells Fargo. Which tells me that because he makes moves carefully and with a long-term view, it tells me he thinks the U.S. banking system isn't exactly going uh, light to it, light it up in the next few years if he's moving that heavily out of banks investment banks.
0: Welcome back to Money Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Silver One Resources. The Silver One website is silverone.com. Ticker symbol in Toronto is SVE, in Frankfurt, BRK1, and on the OTCQX in New York, SLVRF. The company has a resource of 140 million ounces of silver, and they're advancing projects in both Nevada and Arizona. Well, my guest today is Lawrence Lapard of Equity Management Associates. He is a gold stock fund manager. He's also an Austrian economist and a sound money advocate. He's very popular on Twitter and you can follow him at Lawrence Lapard on Twitter. Lapard is spelled L E P A R D. Larry, thank you for coming on the show again today. And the big news at close last Friday was that Warren Buffett was invested in Barrick Gold. So, do you think he's investing for cash flow, or does this have something to do with a changed belief in the fundamental value of gold?
1: Oh, well, first, Bill, thanks for having me back on your show. It's always fun to be with you. You're so knowledgeable about these things. Um, I also want to say I'm a big Silver One fan. Own it, and like it. Um, so, to the Warren Buffett. Um, story it's it's not clear he's been a he He doesn't like gold or said so in the past um you know which is ironic because his father loved it uh he um he has some lieutenants who work for him for him and arguably they bought it um you know it's a small position compared to his total portfolio but obviously it's a big move that he bought it at all um i think almost as telling is that he sold all of his goldman sachs he sold 62 percent of his J.P. Morgan, and he sold a meaningful piece of his Wells Fargo, which tells me that because he makes moves carefully and with a long-term view, it tells me he thinks the U.S. banking system isn't exactly going uh, light to it, light it up in the next few years if he's moving that heavily out of the banks and investment banks. Um, but to the to whether or not he now believes in gold, I don't know. He's always said gold is uh, the goose that doesn't lay eggs. It just sits there, and it's crazy. We dig it up, put it in the vault, and it has no value, um, which to me, always struck me as uh, uh, disingenuous on his part, but that's what he said. Um, at least in buying a gold miner, he is buying a cash flow stream because uh, Barrick is heavily cash flow positive and and will continue to grow those cash flows, in my belief. And so he's buying a company which um, he can buy at, at a decent cash flow multiple compared to other things he sees in the market. And so I suspect that factors into his thinking. You know, as he didn't say he was buying bullion. So Um, But again, it might have been one of his lieutenants. It's hard to tell. Um, You know, maybe he'll talk more about it in the future and we'll get to see. I I will say it's a net positive for the area, uh, for the industry, I think, just because it's, you know, he's considered an investment genius and, um, you know, that somebody as mainstream as him is willing to invest in a mining company. um, I consider that to be a positive for all of us. So I, I welcome him to the club. I'm Wait until he finds the juniors that are really deeply undervalued and and, and growing and growing their production. Um, you know he's gonna he's gonna realize that you can really make some money. So we'll see we'll see if that occurs.
0: That was going to be my next question because I can see some institutional money following him into these bigger you know big board traded gold stocks. But how how do you think this is going to affect the juniors? Are we still going to wait a few more months or a year before this Buffett effect hits the juniors?
1: Boy, getting the timing on all these things is almost impossible. Um, Yeah, I mean, one of the issues that I think is interesting here, and I use these numbers a lot, you know, uh, Tavi Costa at Crescat has figured out that the total market value of all the gold, all publicly traded gold stocks in the world is about 600 billion. Um, So 0.6 trillion. The total financial assets in the world is around 300, 350 trillion. So, you know, Basically, the gold stocks are you know a pimple on the ass of an elephant um, of financial assets, and you know when you come into the area, there are only a couple. You know, when, when somebody like Buffett he buys five hundred you know million dollars worth of stock or something, um, you know there are only so many companies you can do that with. They're big enough to absorb that kind of uh, that kind of an investment. Um, yeah, you know, as money flows into the area, it will trickle down from the big names to the smaller names, and the bigger names will use the cheaper capital to buy the smaller names. They'll do a buy versus build analysis and they'll say, well, I could take a bunch of money and drill and find more gold or I could just buy this little company that already has some that's very cheap. And so I think that, you know, all the companies will move forward. It's interesting, I checked last night and still the GDXJ and the GDX year to date are about the same in performance, which is very unusual. Generally, the GDXJ in a bull market should exceed the GDX. And I think that's partly because of what I call battered gold bull syndrome, which is people are still looking over their shoulders. I know even I am. I've, I've done well in the last year and, and year and a half, and I'm still wondering if the other shoe is going to drop because, you know, from 2011 to really until, well, the beginning of last year or June of last year, you know, this has been a pretty rough segment to be in, with one small exception in early 2016. So, um, you know, it's going to take time to make for the money to make its way to the juniors, but I have little doubt that it is coming to the juniors.
0: For gold bugs and gold stock investors like ourselves, when you Mm -hmm. articulate the thesis very well, I just read your last quarter letter for your uh, fund before this call, and I was thinking to myself as I read it, because I started investing in the, pres- hard, the physical precious metals in 2012, and I thought you know the collapse was near, and then they kept going lower as I kept buying them. And uh, you know, silver got under 13, 14 dollars when I had an average cost basis, probably in the low 20s, which I'm in the money on now. It didn't work in terms of my timing expectation, I guess is the point I was trying to make there. But could there be some fault to the gold thesis, the gold bug thesis right now that perhaps we're not paying attention to?
1: I've thought a lot about that, and i was so wrong the last time around that I'm willing to accept I could be wrong again. Um, as I look at the conditions, you know, I, I think probably the greatest threat, threat to the thesis is just, you know, government confiscation or, you know, um, outlawing or taxing uh, the whole industry. Um, and, and I rate that as relatively low in terms of probabilities, but, but not zero, um, so I, you know, I've written in, in the past that I do, you know, I do, I am concerned about that. Uh, with respect to the macroeconomic picture and, and having that wrong, you know, it's possible, but it doesn't seem that way to me. Um, I've I've examined carefully why we were wrong in 2011, and I don't think we have the same set of circumstances. Um, you know, they they and they did a lot of things back then that that, that made us look wrong that they can't do again. Um, you know they did Operation Twist to bring rates down. The long rates were long or higher, and they brought them down. They they bombed the market, the physical market, but they're having trouble with that because they've got a shortage everywhere. As as many have pointed out, they're you know they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel in London to find you know gold and silver to meet the rapidly and largely increased demand for physical delivery. So I, I don't think there's a high probability that we're wrong, but sure we could be wrong. I mean I've been wrong before and. I'm sure I'll be wrong again in the future. But um, I, I think the, the other thing I think is important to understand is that in the last time around, they actually printed money and put it into the financial system to, you know, bolster the financial system to fill the hole created by the housing bubble. burst. Um, in this particular instance, you know, the, and, and so it was the bubble in housing that they fixed in 08. And, you know, um, and, and they more by eleven they basically were able with the zero interest rates to get another credit bubble going. I don't think they can get another credit bubble going and the, the bubble that's bursting this time is much larger. It's not just housing, it's everything. It's stocks, it's bonds, it's the whole damn enchilada. And so the amount and, and you know velocity of money that they're gonna have to put into the system is just is orders of magnitude larger. And it's not just going into the financial system. I mean last time around I just went into the financial system and inflated stocks and bonds. This time they're writing direct checks and sending them to the companies and people, and they're going to have to continue that. In fact, they're competing on that basis. And Trump just said he wants to give out $3,400 to every family, up from $1,200 last time, and that the Dems are holding him back. So, so there's zero fiscal responsibility, and you know that's, to me, what's, that's the driving factor behind this bull market, the fact that the governments literally cannot stop. You, you, you know If they stop, the markets and the, co- and the economy collapses. And so they're they're put in very much put into the position von Havenstein was in when you know, in nineteen twenty one, when it was either, you know, um, you know, stop printing money and, and, and have a revolution or keep printing money and have the currency collapse. Pick one. And, you know, because the, the is instantaneous and the currency collapse is somewhere in the future, um, I think politicians are gonna choose the currency collapse. And they've managed to delude themselves into believing there are no impacts of all this money printing. I mean you've got Stephanie Kelton advising Biden and you know they they're saying you know deficits don't matter. Well, it was Ms. Cheney who said it, but I think everyone's behaving as though deficits don't matter. You know, and in fact, we're running a four trillion dollar deficit, and you know, and we're printing the money to run it, and it's likely to grow. And so, to me, you know, we're we're in the we're in the early but clear stages of fiat currency failure. And so, you know, I think we've got a pretty bright future being investing in this category.
0: Larry, other than gold and gold stocks, which of course would profit from this environment that you've just described, are there any other asset classes or hard commodities or th- things you're investing in outside of gold and gold stocks?
1: No, because I, you know, I try to stay focused on the medium, which is gold, silver, gold and silver mining companies, but having said that, you know, i am all old, old hard assets are going to be favored versus financial assets in in this collapse, in the sense that you know if you if you look at the chart that's widely run on the internet, just the GSCI compared to the S and P 500, you know commodities are at incredibly historic cheap rates relative to financial assets, and and there has to be a return to the mean, so that you know I would expect to see higher prices of oil, copper, wheat, you know everything that that, that we're going to have as as this money printing finally this time makes it really into the system and the velocity increases and and so forth, I think we're going to finally see you know a real runaway inflation. You know they've they've managed to suppress it for a long period of time, but once it breaks out, it's going to, it's going to shock people. I think how expensive everything is going to become, and so you know it, that would favor you know commodity related uh, producers uh, in all areas. Um, and you know is, is Michael Oliver another? conditions point out, it's often just the monetary models that move first. But you know, I think you're already starting the charts are starting to look very good for a lot of other commodities. And I suspect those would be good areas to invest in. I just I can't do too many things at once, so I try to stay focused on on the one area I'm in.
0: So your outlook for the US dollar then in this environment it's ultimately
1: down? Well down in good terms. I mean all fiat you know, there's a there's a raging debate on Twitter about the dollar will check, and when the dollar goes up and down against other fiat currencies, I don't think it matters. Um, I, I, all fiat currencies are going to depreciate in value against stuff. And the reason is we've created too many claims, you know, too many fiat currency claims against a, a pool of stuff that's not growing. And so, you know, the stuff is going to cost more per unit of fiat currency because of the fiat currency claims we've created. And so, you know, to me, in, in gold terms, the dollar is going down definitely. In DXY terms, compared to every other you know, currency, I don't know. I have no clue. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll all decrease relative to stuff. That's my belief.
0: Can you see a hard reset to where even stock ownership is? Challenged. I know that there are some people that really believe we're going to see a hard reset that say, you know, I'm not even going to gold stocks simply because I don't even, when everything pans out, I don't even know if they'll attribute my ownership to that company.
1: Yeah, that's, I, t- I was talking about it to an investor about that the other day. I mean, you know, I mean, and I know a lot of people who buy gold stocks and take delivery of the certificates. I mean, for, very, for that very reason, I mean, if you own a gold stock, it's out of brokerage, the brokerage goes BK and you can't get at it you know, has it really protected you? And, and, you know, there's certainly some risk of that. The way I view it is, and I recommend this to all my clients and investors, is, you know, the core of your savings and your, you know, um, your hard money protection is is coins and bullion. And that should be big, um, very big relative to the more speculative piece of your hard money investments, which is in gold stocks, which, you know, you're designed to try and grow. I mean, the reason you play with these stocks and, and, and I emphasize the word play because there's speculation involved is that, you know, the stocks can move much more quickly than the metal. And the rule of thumb is if the metal goes up 10%, the stocks should go up 30. Now we've been log- lagging on that. And that's because of this battered gold syndrome, but but I think over longer periods of time, the stocks multiply the return in the metal because they represent, you know, cash flow streams that go out into time for quite some time. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's an issue for sure, and and you know, how you weight those. I mean, if you're absolutely convinced this, the entire world is going to collapse and we're going to be, you know, running around with guns and sticks and stones, and brokerages aren't going to pay out, well then maybe owning a gold stock's not going to do you much good, and the coins are going to be a lot better for borrowers. Um I don't foresee that occurring. I, you know, it's possible, but I don't see it as likely. I think a much more likely outcome is that you know these gold stocks are going to perform quite well, and that at some point I think we're going to have a full monetary reset. Whether It plays all the way down to the dollar's worthless or more likely, in my opinion, is that we get really runaway inflation. And at some point, somebody steps in and says, "Okay, you know, we need to do a a hard deval the way that Roosevelt did it in the 30s. And we're going to have X number of old dollars equals Y number of new dollars. And the new dollar is going to be backed by gold and exchangeable for gold. And, uh, you know, we're going to have sound money again. And that's certainly my hope. And I believe that's the fairest and correct way to deal with the situation now. We going not do that until you know the average politician isn't going to do that until it's forced upon them, is my belief.
0: Well, in your gold stock fund, are you seeing inflows since uh, oh, March? Oh
1: yeah, April? Very, very much so, very much so, but but more modest than you would think. I mean, it, it, it seems compelling and obvious to me, and I would think the entire world would be becoming this way. And and what I see is people coming this way, no doubt, but it's 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 a trickle and not a torrent. You know, it's it's the early, the early movers. Um we, we haven't gotten anything close to, you know, the average person. I still get a lot of skepticism when I talk to potential investors about gold. And, you know, the Robin Hood crowd isn't coming to it. And um, you know, you saw the Wall Street Journal just had an article where they kind of could boot it and you know, a lot of people think, Oh, it's it's you know, it's overbought, it's it's too frothy. you know, it's gonna be a bubble and, and they may be right, it may ultimately be a bubble, but I don't I don't think in terms of in baseball tolerance, I don't think we're beyond the second inning. I think we're I think we're very early days, but you know I could be wrong. I, I've been wrong before. So,
0: what's your lockup period, and how do you educate your investors regarding your exit strategy so they don't take their money out too soon?
1: Yeah, well, I try to I, I try to be very honest with them about the risk and the reward at any given point in time. Um, the lockup is 45 days, um, slightly longer for bigger amounts, only because I I just need to have the time to get liquidity in some of the smaller names I have. Um, and for the small accounts, it's generally, you know, 15 days. Um, so I, you can get in out in any given month. But um, I just try to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to just at any point in time, I've got all my, most all my money in the fund. Um, and I'm going to tell them how we view it as, as we go through. I, I think right now, because we're in the second inning and because we're still at low cash flow multiples and because we've only just broken out from the old high of, of 1921, um, I think we've got a lot of running room here. And I'm pretty confident telling people in it today to you know, don't worry for a while. Now, you know, that will change, and I can't foresee exactly how or how fast, but there's certainly a big time, a year or two in the future, where we'll be trading instead of, I mean, I, my average portfolio company that's a producer is probably trading at six to seven times cash flow. We've got one that's trading at several that are trading at two or three, um, and several that trade slightly higher, and the big names tend to trade at 10 or 11 or 12 times cash flow, but... Um, You know, I've seen bull markets in this area where things will be trading at 15 or 20 times cash flow, kind of universally. And, you know, at that point, it would be hard to make an argument that these stocks are cheap on a cash flow basis. Um, You know, they they may be cheap if gold prices continue to go up. But right now, even without gold prices going up, these stocks are relatively cheap. Um, If gold prices go up, you'll make money on that. And then if the small names I've got are able to increase their production, you'll make money on that as well. So, so I think it's a, you know, I think we're kind of in a sweet spot early days, um, and the people who invest here would be almost universally rewarding. I think it'll get tougher um, as these things, you know, grow towards being fair value. Um, but keep in mind that you know fair value is also always determined by what the price of gold is. I mean, you know, if we're trading at six or seven times cash flow in seventeen hundred gold, which is the number that most last quarter you know, operators were selling in, you know, at at, at three thousand gold, we'd be selling it. You know, two times cash flow, one and a half times cash flow. So, you know, and at four thousand gold, we'd be selling it. You know, I don't know, ten percent of cash flow. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, um, we all know what the average cost to pay an ounce out of the ground is. It's roughly a thousand bucks. So you can you can look at your profit margin. And really, pretty much based on looking at the price on Kipco. and um, and you know, as we've all been taught in in finance, you know the you know, company is worth its discounted future, stream of future expected cash flows. Now, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of issues about you know risk and consistency and mine life and grade. And, you know, there are a million moving pieces here, so it's not simple. But um, you know, across a broad spectrum, you know, you you can be sure that the fangs aren't selling at you know six times cash flow and, and, and therefore an implied earnings yield of something like you know 18%. I mean, they're just not. Selling enormous methods of cash flow. So,
0: since the mid-March uh, sell-off, what can you give us an inkling of what type of stocks you've bought? Have you is it been more of these producers or emerging producers?
1: Well, I've always said, Bill, that the the the, the sweet spot here for the average investor is a, an emerging producer, that is a company that has a mine that's operating, that's generating, you know, it's producing, and that has positive cash flow, and that you know is selling at a reasonable multiple of the positive cash flow. And you know that doesn't have a bunch of you know um, potential risks, you know, jurisdiction, grade, cave in, you know, whatever it might be. And um, and then they have the potential to also grow the production over time. That they're the generating enough cash flow to either increase the output of the existing mine or perhaps tack on another mine. Um, to me, that's that's the sweet spot for this kind of investing. And and you know, at times my portfolio has been as much as eighty percent in those names. Um, right now, it's actually gone down a bit. I've, I've gone down market into the two other categories, which I would term as being developers, which are people who have a resource, but the mine isn't built yet or getting close to being built. Um, and then drill stories, which are people who don't even necessarily have a resource. And generally in my case, they've, they've got a couple of good intercepts and they've got a structure that they think is going to yield a, a large deposit. Um, and in the early stages of a market like this, um, if you can pick those two categories from the developers and drill stories judiciously, um, you can make much bigger multiples on your money than you, you can with an emerging producer. Um, having said that, you can also strike out. So, um, But I've, I've, I've adjusted the portfolio to be more heavily in those two categories because it's early days, and I could pick up you know good drill stories cheap, and I could pick up good development stories cheap. Once again, as we get further into the market, those become more expensive, um, and they're not as cheap anymore, um, you know, I might shift back from those early stage things back over into, you know, the more uh, solid, predictable producing companies. I mean, there's, there's a much, much greater risk control drill story than there is in a producer, and there's, and there's greater, much greater risk in a development story than there is in a producer. So, um, you know, you've, you've got to have a chance at making five or ten times your money to justify going down market to those riskier situations
0: if you want to learn more about larry's fund go to ema the number two, and like i said before larry is very active on twitter give him a follow at lawrence Lippard, at lawrence Lapard on twitter larry as always i appreciate your insights and thanks for coming on today's show
1: thank you very much Bill. always fun to talk to you take care <music>